Chapter 12 of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Packard. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Brun. Jack the Giant Killer. All the giants and most of the dragons were happy and contented folk. Neither fear nor shame was in them. They faced life squarely and liked it. And so they left no literature. The business of writing was left to the dwarves, who felt impelled to distort real values in order to make their own pitiful existence endurable. In their stories the little people earned ease of mind for themselves by making up yarns in which they killed giants, dragons, and all the best people of the community who were too big and strong for them. Naturally, the giants and dragons merely laughed at such times as these highly drawn accounts of imaginary happenings were called to their attention. But they laughed not only too soon, but too long. Giants and dragons have died and the stories remain. The world believes today that St. George slew the dragon, and that Jack killed all those giants. The little man has imposed himself upon the world. Strength and size have come to be reproaches. The world has been won by the weak. Undoubtedly, it's too late to do anything about this now. But there is a little dim and distant dragon blood in our veins. It boils when we hear the fairy stories and we remember the true version of Jack the Giant Killer, as it has been handed down by word of mouth in our family for a great many centuries. We can produce no tangible proofs, and we are willing to admit that the tale may have grown a little distorted here and there in the telling through the ages. Even so, it sounds much more plausible to us than the one which has crept into the storybooks. Jack was a Celt, a liar, and a meager man. He had great green eyes and had much practice in being pathetic. He could sing tenor and often did, but it was not in this manner that he lived. By trade he was a newspaper man, though he called himself a journalist. In his shop there was a printing press and every afternoon he issued a newspaper which he called Jack's Journal. Under his name there ran the caption, quote, If you see it in Jack's journal, you may be sure that it actually occurred. End quote. Jack had no talent for brevity and little taste for truth. All in all, he was a pretty poor newspaper man. We forgot to say that in addition to this, he was exceedingly lazy. But he was a good liar. This was the only thing which saved him. Day after day, he would come to the office without a single item of local interest, and upon such occasions he made a practice of sitting down and making up something. Generally, it was far more thrilling than any of the real news of the community which clustered around one great high road known as Main Street. The town lay in a valley cupped between towering hills. On the hills and beyond lived the giants and the dragons, but there was little interchange between these fine people and the dwarves of the village. Occasionally a sliced drive from the giant's golf course would fall into the fields of the little people, who would ignorantly set down the great round object as a meteor from heaven. 
The giants were considerate as well as kindly, and they made the territory of the little people out of bounds. Otherwise, an erratic golfer might easily have uprooted the First National Bank, the Second Baptist Church, which stood next door, and Jack's journal with one sweep of his niblick. If by any chance he failed to get out in one, the total destruction of mankind would have been imminent. Once upon a time, a charitable dowager dragon sought to bring about a closer relationship between the peoples of the hills and the valley in spite of their difference in size. Hearing of a poor neglected family in the village, which was freezing to death because of want of coal, she leaned down from her mountain and breathed gently against the roof of the thatched cottage. Her intentions were excellent, but the damage was $152,694, little of which was covered by insurance. After that, the dragons and the giants decided to stop trying to do favors for the little people. Being short of news one afternoon, Jack thought of the great gulf which existed between his reading public and the big fellows on the hill, and decided that it would be safe to romance a little. Accordingly, he wrote a highly circumstantial story of the manner in which he had gone into the hills and killed a large giant with nothing more than his good broadsword. The story was not accepted as gospel by all of the subscribers, but it was well told, and it argued an undreamed-of power in the arm of man. People wanted to believe, and accordingly they did. Encouraged, Jack began to kill dragons and giants with greater frequency in his newspaper. In fact, he called his last evening edition the five-star giant final, and never failed to feature a killing in it under great red-block type. The news of the Jack's doings finally came to the hill people, and they were much amused. That is, all but one giant called Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum. The Fo-Fums, pronounced Foam, were one of the oldest families in the hills. Jack supposed that all the names he was using were fictitious, but by some mischance or other, he happened one afternoon to use Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum as the name of his current victim. The name was common enough. Undoubtedly, the thing was an accident. But Mr. Foam did not see it in that light. To make it worse, Jack had gone on in his story with some stuff about captive princesses just for the sake of sex appeal. Not only was Mr. Foam an ardent Methodist, but his wife was jealous. There was a row in the Foam home. See Encyclopedia for Great Earthquake of 1007 and Fee swore revenge upon Jack. "'Make him print a retraction,' said Mrs. Foam. "'Retraction nothing!' roared Fee. "'I'm going to eat up the presses!' Over the hills he went with great strides, and arrived at the office of Jack's journal, just at press time. Mr. Foam was a little calmer by now, but still revengeful. He spoke to Jack in a whisper which shook the building and told him that he proposed to step on him and bite his press in two. "'Wait until I have this last page made up,' said Jack. "'Killing more giants, I presume,' said Fee with heavy satire. "'Bag three this afternoon,' said Jack. "'Hero Slaughter's Trio of Titans!' "'My name is Foam,' said the giant. Jack did not recognize it because of the trick pronunciation and the visitor had to explain.' "'I'm sorry,' said Jack. 
but if you've come for extra copies of the paper in which your name figures, I can't give you any. The edition is exhausted. Foam sputtered and blew a bale of paper out the window. Cut that out, said Jack severely. All complaints must be made in writing, and while I'm about it, you forgot to put your name down on one of those slips at the desk in the reception room. Don't forget to fill in that space about what business you want to discuss with the editor. Foam started to roar, but Jack's high and pathetic tenor cut through the great bass like a ship's siren in a storm. If you don't quit shaking this building, I'll call Julius the office boy and have him throw you out. Take the air, added Jack severely, disregarding the fact that Foam, before entering the office, had found it necessary to remove the roof. But now the giant was beginning to stoop a little, his face grew purple, and he was swaying unsteadily on his feet. Hold on a minute, said Jack briskly. Don't go just yet. Stick around a second. He turned to his secretary and dictated two letters of congratulation to distant emperors, and another to a cardinal. Tell the Pope, he said, in conclusion, that his conduct is admirable. Tell him I said so. Now, Mr. Foam, said Jack, turning back to the giant, what I want from you is a picture. There is still plenty of light. I'll call the staff photographer. The North Meadow will give us room. Of course, you will have to be taken lying down, because as far as the journal goes, you're dead. Oh, and just one thing more. Could you by any chance let me have one of your ears for our reception room? Foam had been growing more and more purple, and now he toppled over with a crash, carrying part of the building with him. Almost two years before, he had been warned by a doctor of apoplexy and sudden anger. Jack did not wait for the verdict of any medical examiner. He seized the speaking tube and shouted down to the composing room. Jim, take out that old head. Make it read, Hero finishes four ferocious foemen. And say, Jim, I want you to be ready to replate for a special extra with an eight-column cut. I'll have the photographer here in a second. I killed that last giant right here in the office. Yes, and say, Jim, you'd better use that stock cut of me at the bottom of the page. A caption, let me see. Put it in 24-point Cheltenham bold and make it read, Jack, the Giant Killer. End of chapter 12. Recording by Michael Packard.